Well, good morning and welcome to another program of Sound Insight. I am joined once again by Sister Mary Eucharista. She is a sister of Mary, Mother of the Church, uh, a, a religious community in Spokane, Washington. A wonderful group of sisters. Uh, our family loves these sisters very much, and it's a thrill to have you on once again, Sister Mary Eucharista. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Tom. I'm honored to be here and so happy to be part of this. Well, Sister, I'm going to ask you to take up your cross. Uh, because oh, <laughs> Here we go. You yeah. didn't do so well yesterday on this. We were, uh, we kind of just didn't get into our 14. We just got into one. So, so if you did not listen to the program yesterday or watch uh, part one of this series, I think it was a very enjoyable, engaging conversation about the, the meaning and the power and the gift of the Stations of the Cross, a little of the history and the spirituality of the Stations of the Cross. Uh, and then we were going to engage in, remember what I called it? A dialogical... Um, Lexio Divina. Lexio Divina. We got through the first mystery, and you can't ever get through it, but we hopefully served up some fresh bread, uh, that image of reflecting on these mysteries that are meant to come alive in our faith. Today on the program, we're going to continue on, and we are going to make our way through the remaining 13 stations in Jesus' holy name. So back in a Amen. minute, and we'll get right started. All right, here we are with Sister Mary Eucharista. This is Tom Curran, and we're going to continue reflecting on the Stations of the Cross, a wonderful devotion that is really foundational and in the practice of um, walking the path with Christ in the desert through our Lenten journey. Sister, would you be so kind to open us in prayer? I'd be happy to do that. Thank you, Tom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Gracious and loving Father, we are so happy and honored to be able to speak with all of us that are here listening to this radio program today and this Facebook uh, video. We ask you to please bless us, bless all those who are watching, bless Tom, bless me, and bless every heart that is listening so that we may indeed speak the words of your Holy Spirit into their hearts and be able to truly uh mine the wealth and treasure of the stations of the cross that are being proposed here. Please help us to pray, fast, and almsgive during this holy season. Also to practice the spiritual and corporal works of mercy as we go forward in the, on the journey of transformation into your resurrection, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We ask your blessings in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Sister Mary Eucharista. Thank you for uh, that beautiful prayer. So as I mentioned, folks, what we're doing is we're practicing a, um, a spiritual uh, discipline. Uh, it's, a, it's a spirituality that is uh, part and parcel of our Catholic faith, which connects the mysteries of Christ's life to our lives. And, and the way that we do that is through meditation and through prayer. The Lord brings out into the open the way in which the mysteries of his life come to birth in our lives. And so yesterday we talked about Jesus is condemned to death. That's the first of the 14 stations of the cross. If you're watching the video version of this, again, you can see it on YouTube at My Catholic Faith TV is the channel. Just Google My Catholic Faith TV. You'll see the video version of this interview. Or we also post it on Facebook. I Love My Catholic Faith with Dr. Tom Curran is the Facebook page. But here are the 14 stations. And sister, I'm going to put them up here just to remind us we got a lot to cover. So we're going to move right on into the second station. Jesus carries his cross. Jesus carries his cross. As you reflect on that particular mystery, what is it that sort of jumps out at you? Well, as, as I, as I, you know, think about the, ref, you know, reflecting on it, I always try to keep the, uh, I don't metaphorize anything right away unless the Holy Spirit just places it right there. But I, I typically will, you know, there's that picture of Jesus holding a cross, like a for a full on cruciform. And I always, since I saw the passion of the Christ, and since I have moved wood myself, when I was a teenager, and I was a pretty strong kid, my dad even got me my own mini, mini Mac uh, chainsaw, because I was trying to use his to cut some wood on the property. And he said, honey, that's too heavy for you. I said, Dad, 
I'm strong, feel my muscles. Cause I had horses and he said, Oh my gosh, listen, look at that. But he said, I, I don't want you to hurt your back. So he went to the store and got me a mini Mac and I was able to use that to cut wood anyway. Um, and I wasn't a, like a, um, I, I was a feminine girl. I just wanted the wood out of the way and nobody was doing it. So I started doing it. So don't, you know, don't imagine I was this total Tom girl, but I was sometimes a Tom, Tom girl, sometimes, um, definitely horse related and all that. But when you hear the scrape of heavy wood against stone, it's very, very, it's remarkable. And maybe it was enhanced when I saw the passion of the Christ and Jesus of Nazareth, both really good video, uh, understandings of the passion of Jesus. Um, so I think of that cross being held by Jesus and him laboring under it. This is not a light piece of, of um, wood. This is an extremely heavy torture instrument. Um, in the shroud, the studies show that perhaps this cruciform actually started out as a beam, a massive beam that Jesus had to carry. And the wound from Jesus' shoulder uh, for some reason, indicates that it was a single beam that he had to carry. And when you think of his weakened state, poor Jesus, the 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 incredible weight of you know, and this was the burden that lay on him and the agony in the garden, causing him to sweat drops of blood, which is the extreme of anguish in the human body. Um, and and he is carrying the the sins of the world on his shoulders in the form of this cross beam, um, which then when he did get to Calvary and it was taken off him, then he was nailed to it and he was lifted up on it. And that's where the cruciform came. That That's the shroud study outcome of what they believe happened with Jesus. Um, we don't know exactly how it went, but regardless, Jesus suffered. And we can truly connect in this mystery of, the, of this second station um, when he is going out of the, uh, you know, Pilate's area and the, um, the Antonia, which was the Roman fortress, and then begins carrying his cross. Now, his weakness must have been extreme, which then can we just lead right to the next mystery? He just falls. I mean, well, sister, before we go there. OK, I want to just share briefly about uh, the reality of Jesus carrying his cross. There are different words used to describe Jesus getting connected to his cross. And when I first heard someone use that word and draw attention to it, it was um, it really opened my eyes to the idea of carrying your cross. And do you know what word I'm talking about? It's embrace, that Jesus embraces his cross. And mm. when you hear that word embrace, you think of, you know, a, a husband and a wife embrace. The, there's that sense of a love. There's a sense of uh, affection. There's a sense of a real openness and willingness. And so when I reflect on Jesus carrying his cross uh, and carry the or hold in my mind the things that you're talking about, how heavy that load is, in his weakened condition, the fact that he embraced it, he embraced it because it was his call. It was for this that he came. He came in order to embrace a cross that we forged and fashioned for him because of his love for us. I find that um, encouraging. I find that invigorating. Uh, that when crosses come to me, how do I relate to them? Do I embrace my cross? And in fact, in the the Passion of the Christ, the way that they have Jesus take his cross, there's someone that calls it out. It says, look at him. He's embracing the cross. Uh, they call that out in the movie. And it, that was obviously not by accident that powerful idea of embrace your cross. You don't simply undergo it. There's that willingness to enter in. Boy, I hear you. Um, I also, I used to um, really think in that, in that way. And it's important to kind of get a, 
um, pull that in just slightly because Jesus was not, um, he didn't like suffering for the sake of suffering. And sometimes, especially younger people can like look at that and go, gee, that's kind of weird. I don't know. I don't really know if I could, uh, you know, empathize as much there, but I know that our crosses are typically very distasteful to us. I think Jesus found this whole passion to be deeply distasteful. But like you said, it was this, um, and I think that acknowledgement needs to be there because you can't embrace something so evil unless you're a little distorted. Um, and there are those people that have a distortion. It's a, um, mm-hmm. it's, I'm trying to think of the word, but it's like, uh, there's a psychological problem. You mean like a masochist? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Masochism. And um, Jesus was no masochist. He loved the sinners. He loved everyone, but he also enjoyed parties. He was not, even though he did spend 40 days in the desert and went every morning early to pray, he himself did not have, I mean, they were on, there's a joke that Jesus went on a three-year camping trip with his, you know, apostles. And they, after that, you know, this is where this was their learning ground. And then they had to, you know, disperse and go into all areas of the earth to spread the word. But um, Jesus uh, was not a masochist. He embraced his cross with the knowledge that this was the will of the father for the sake of human beings and that we would be free as a result. And that overarching knowledge, I, I love I love that part where it gets to the fourth station where Jesus meets his mother. And of course, the straightening up and everything. And that's a refreshment almost of this, what you're saying as embracing. It's like, yes, for them, I'll do it. For her, I'll do it. Yes, for these people, they're, they're, they're just awful. I mean, they were spitting on him. They were pushing him. They were knocking him down they were all right now sister mary eucharist i'm gonna i'm gonna you said to me before we got started (laughs) i I should feel free to interrupt you i was kind of waiting to see it i let you know that we have four minutes per mystery if we're gonna get through this and we are 12 minutes in and we've only covered one mystery now who so, is going right to the, the third uh, I know, station? I know, I know. But I, I did interrupt. I did interrupt. Did. I did want to share my little while. piece. No, I did want to share. Very worthwhile, and and that's why it's a dialogue. If we don't have a dialogue, then it's not the truly what we said. The dialogical lexio divina. So. So do you feel good now about going yeah, to the third one? I, right. I feel good. Now I feel good. Thank you. <laughs> you feel good. Okay, great. Well, oh, Sister we Mary, you're great. Let's move on <laughs> to the third, uh, the third station. Jesus falls the first time. Okay. And this is where, you know, with if you really consider that Jesus had his arms out on this beam and he was tied to the beam, according to the shroud studies, um, when he fell, he couldn't stop himself with his hands. He fell smashed on his face. And these are cobblestones. I saw the cobblestones in the Holy Land. These were rough areas. In fact, even physical therapists will give people canes before they go to the Holy Land so that when they travel there, these cobblestones are hard just to walk on, let alone to be um, pushed forward in a weakened state with your arms out and no protection and as he fell he had no protection as he as he as his face smashed against the earth when you look on the shroud you'll see the swollenness of jesus face the 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 beatings that he had in addition to the scourgings when they took the rod and and hit his you know like smashed his crown of thorns down on him and then pulled it off and smashed it on again um this is where his his face is disfigured to the point of, you know, it's Isaiah's words come to life. He's no, he's a worm and no man. He, you can't recognize his face anymore. And this, this, this smashing onto, onto the cobblestones is this uh, unfathomable lack of protection for the, our savior who is being uh, mistreated to the point of, I mean, the uh, abuse to the extreme, Tom. Mm-hmm abuse to the extreme, as you know. You know, sister, I honestly have not taken a lot of time to reflect on the mystery in that way. Um, Like understanding what it actually looked like historically, and then 
how reflecting on what does that mean for my life? I, I think I had a little bit more of a devotional, traditional way of the three times that Jesus fell, you know, it's, um, you know, sins of, of my thoughts and then my words and then my deeds. And so, um, but alongside that was um, a reflection that um, Jesus in falling is showing us that his solidarity with us, his willingness to stay connected to us is not only in those places in our lives where we are virtuous and doing holy things, but that he's not afraid of us at those places in our lives where we fall short and settle for less, where we've betrayed him, he will not betray us. When we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. And so when I think about Jesus falls the first time, one of the metaphors for sin is it's a fall, right? The original sin is the fall from grace. And Jesus is saying, look, my mercy is going to chase after you and be with you even as you betray me. And I find incredible comfort in that um, as I reflect on Jesus falls the first time is that any point of my failure is a point where he can manifest his mercy. You know, that reminds me of something Pope Francis says that sin is the intersection of God and us. And that's where he is. He is in the locus of that, which is in the center of the cross. And he, in falling, when I, it also uh, occurred to me that as you were speaking, yes, that fall, the falls that we have into sin and are getting up again, um, that thought of not being protected on one's face when Jesus fell with no protection at all, when we see others fall on some other level, we can also protect them and not let their sin be known. And do our best to, 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 and offer that, you know, like when we know, oh my goodness, you did what? Or, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to accompany someone else. Or if they're, uh, you know, it's, it's becoming a problem or whatever. It's just to protect others and not let their sin be known and to offer that as the, a, a balm for the face of Jesus when he was not protected and he fell. Wow. That's uh, Sister Mary Eucharista joining me today. She is with the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center. She uh, oversees retreats, days of prayer, days of silence, and runs other programs as well as provides spiritual direction, ihrc.net, including an upcoming day of prayer, which is going to be reflecting on the Stations of the Cross. And it's Sister Bongiorno. Sister Sharon Bongiorno will be Sister doing Sharon that. Sister Sharon Bongiorno prayer. is going to be um, leading that. It's coming up on Wednesday, the 22nd, I believe, okay. uh, of the month. You can go to ihrc.net for more information and to register for that and other uh, upcoming programs. Sister Mary Eucharista is with me on the program, and we're reflecting on the Stations of the Cross. And Sister, we are now at the fourth station, Jesus Meets his mother, as you reflect and have prayed with that for years and years, you're a sister of Mary, mother of the church. You're serving at the retreat center, Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, ihrc.net to get connected to Sister Mary Eucharista. What comes to mind for you when Jesus meets his mother? When Jesus meets his mother, I, I had a refreshment of that when the Passion of the Christ came out. And I think that Mel Gibson brings that out in such a delightfully beautiful way when Mary reflects back on seeing little Jesus fall and she runs to him and takes him in her arms and comforts him and rocks him and she sees him and he sees her and remembers why he is doing this and immediately straightens up and I just see this manly Christ become this best version of himself and have I mean if you can even say that about Jesus but he is no longer in that place of where he just fell on his face with no protection but he is he sees the face of his mother and he's immediately if if one can say this in the divine mind reinformed yes I am doing this for her and for all of them but her face especially because she did no wrong. She never did anything to cause this. This was not her 
except through prevenient grace, as they say, the theologians. Um, her grace was in not acknowledgement of or came from this this painful crucifixion, this painful passion, but it also and the resurrection. But um, Mary, Mary is the one that reminds him that he's doing it for all of us and that she is the mother of the church. And he is inspired when he sees her and we can all take heart and know that Mary participated so deeply in this passion that she um, offered her life to become mother of us all. And even though we were the murderers of her son, um, she as like, I think about that sometimes and wonder, boy, Mary, I wonder if you like me because I murdered your son and I'm so sorry, but you know what? Mary, Mary, just like Jesus, never threatened, never hated, never, never kind of folded her arms and said, yeah, boy, I tell you, you, you humans, you're, you're something else, aren't you? You know, I mean, it's really a pain working with you. And yep. she never says that. She says, come to me. I, I will help you. I love that. Uh, Sister Mary Eucharista, I think uh, three quick things. The first was go back to Mel Gibson and the Passion of the Christ. My favorite scene in the whole movie is at the beginning of the stations where you see the devil and he's holding his little baby like this is his baby. This is his work that he's crucifying. He's he's stirring up the crucifixion of, of Jesus and the crowd doesn't see him. He's invisible to the crowd. He's walking through the crowd, but he looks across on the other side of the of the of the way of the cross is the Blessed Mother, and their eyes catch, and she's looking at him, and he's looking at her, and they're both walking. Like, uh, who's who's going to stop? Who's going to stop first? Your work is not going to stop me from walking with my son, and that is so. I just get the tingles, right? That is so powerful. That reality that the Blessed Mother is accompanying her son all the way in the in in the path of the Passion, as you say. For me, I think of the um, idea that as I am following the Lord and I am brought into a passion, a carrying of a cross in my life, that I should hope for, expect, and have a sense of confidence that the Blessed Mother is going to meet me on the way of my cross and that she's there to intercede, to care for, to... Uh, offer her maternal covering over my carrying of the cross. And so having wow. that sense of confident entrustment that I should expect to meet the Blessed Mother and she's going to be there. Wow. Very powerful, Tom. I had never thought of Mary being with me in my passion. Um, although I see her there, but I don't, I didn't think of it in relation to the fourth station for some reason. Hmm. So thank you for that. That is very powerful. And that um, idea of the um, Satan and Mary going together on this and him not realizing, even Mother Mary, not totally understanding everything. There is, I mean, so much happens in retrospect. Mary, everything was fresh. She didn't know how much more Jesus was going to have to bear. And she just believed, you know, when it said Mary stood at the foot of the cross, she is not flailing around and, and fainting as it's is demonstrated in many movies, but she is standing and she's strong. But this is the proto-evangelium that Jesus is, that God the Father has spoken to Adam and Eve. I will put enmities between thee, Satan, and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. She shall crush your head and you will lie in wait for her heel. And this is where the uh, children of the woman and the children of Satan are always going on this path together. And, you know, it's the wheat and the chaff. It's the, or the wheat and the weeds. It's, it's so many mysteries wrapped in one. Last comment. Uh, the day on which this program is airing uh, is my mother's birthday. And so uh, my mom, I hope and pray, is enjoying her eternal reward in heaven. Um, she died six years ago, or just about six years ago. And I'm so sorry. Um, oh, a great woman of faith. And I know that there are many mothers who are listening right now whose children are in the midst of their passions. And so I just want to encourage you that you are prayerful 
accompaniment or your accompaniment through prayer of your own kids or grandchildren's walking the path of a passion, even when you don't see it to be redemptive, even when it's mysterious, take courage and take comfort in this uh, mystery of the station of the cross that you're draw you're being drawn into the part of our blessed mother. You're being drawn into that part of prayerful accompaniment of your child, even innocently experiencing a crucifying suffering and a cross that seems too heavy to bear. You know what, Tom, that reminds me of the words of a, a very beautiful Dominican priest. He's an older priest. I don't know if he's still alive, but I remember he gave a Holy Week retreat one time at Immaculate Heart for the women and then for the men, which, by the way, is also coming up during this coming Holy Week and um, uh, at the end of March or beginning of April. But the um, father said, a woman uh, raised her hand and said, I have this terrible sadness in my life. My son is on drugs and I am devastated. And I just, and she just started to really weep. And she, between, you know, her sobs, she was saying, I just don't want him to go to hell. How can I be sure that my prayers will help or how can I help? How will I bear this sorrow? And he said, oh, dear lady, I just want you to know that you are not weeping your tears. You are weeping the tears of the Holy Spirit. And just as St. Saint, um, Saint Ambrose told St. Monica, no child of these tears will be, ever be lost. And your son is in God's arms because of your tears, because of your prayers, because of your fasting. You are not able on your own to weep tears over his supernatural uh, destiny because that is not of nature. That is a supernatural weeping. And I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is deeply involved in your son's life. And because of your prayers, um, he there's no way he can perish. I just was like so deeply comforted because this is a fully habited, you know, straight down the line guy. And he was melted by this woman's tears. Think how wow. God melts. Think Amen. how God melts. Yeah. So Sister Mary Eucharista, we're gonna shift how we do this a little bit. And instead of both of us reflecting on every mystery, we're gonna take turns, okay? So okay. that way we can smile and nod and say, that's beautiful. We'll move into the next station of the cross because I wanna keep our commitment and get us through these stations today. So Sister Mary Eucharista, today on the program, we're reflecting on the Stations of the Cross. I'm going to let you take the next one. So Simon of Cyrene helps Jesus to carry his cross. All right. Well, Simon is in the, you know, he just comes uh, to the to Jerusalem for the holy days. And suddenly, you know, these are high holy days. And suddenly the Roman soldiers pick him out of a crowd and shove him towards Jesus. And, say, and they say, help him out. And he's like, you know, first of all, he's from out of town. He's from Cyrene. Some places, uh, they do say some that um, he was African. And I'm not sure where Cyrene is, but he um, suddenly is, uh, you know, he must have looked brawny for them to pick him out of a crowd and shove him over to where Jesus was. And at first, he's like, I don't want to be here with this dirty stranger. Oh, my goodness. Who is that? That can't even be a human. And he's now got to help Jesus carry his cross. And as he goes and he lifts the cross, he is suddenly struck. Something happens to him and he is transformed to the point where, oh, my goodness, I am in the middle of something. I have no idea what he didn't know who Jesus was. But suddenly he is carrying this cross in a way that he never imagined possible. First of all, he's shocked and indignant. And then he is pulled into the mystery, as Jesus does with all of us. And now he is inextricably bound into the passion forevermore because he is uh, part of the scripture and part of the passion. And never imagined when he left home from Cyrene that he would be in this um, kind of, well, quandary privilege. And isn't that how God sometimes draws us into the troubles of others, perhaps, where... Um, we suddenly 
find that, oh no, I just wanted to help this person. And now I've got this other big problem along the way. And now I've got this court thing that now I have to testify, or now I've got, you know, who knows what, but the heavy weight and burden of other people's crosses falls on us sometimes. And this is our call from God, just as Simon was called in a, in a, in a very forthright way, we are called in to help others and to carry their crosses alongside them and to help them and to bring Jesus into that. And I think we can call on Simon of Cyrene, who he had some sons and they figured in the life of the early church. And um, this man was, re it will always be revered because of his being called in. And that's the guy we need to ask to help us out when we are being called into the crosses of others. And um, what a privilege though. I would almost say I'm jealous, except that I can do this every time I'm helping another person with their cross and I can call upon God to give me the strength that Simon had and to be transformed in that manner. Wow. Beautiful. That's Sister Mary Eucharista reflecting on the fifth station. Simon of Cyrene helps Jesus to carry the cross. I'll connect it briefly to Veronica wipes the face of Jesus, which is a different form of uh, assistance support um, not carrying the cross, but wiping the face. And it's, it strikes me in both of those mysteries, the sense of God designed, uh, like a divine appointment, a God designed moment where apart from your willing or thinking or planning, the Lord brought you right to where he intended you to be. And in both of these mysteries, there's a sense of comforting Jesus helping Jesus. And I love how you brought out the way in which that connects to the mystery of Christ coming alive in us by the opportunity we have to help those in our lives that we come upon who need comfort or support in carrying their crosses. I want to bring it at the other side of the coin, and it's the mystery of the way in which we impact the cross. It's like I ask people, does Jesus have the ability to impact you? And they say, yes, of course. And I say, do you have the ability to impact what happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago? And they think about it for a minute, and they first naturally think no, but then they're like, well, wait a minute, yes, because it's through my sins that I, in fact, make that cross heavier, make that passion more intense and dark. But there's also a very beautiful way in which um, St. Uh, Pius, not St. Uh, uh, Pope Pius XI writes about the sacred heart of Jesus and how we can console him with our love, that he senses our acts of love 2,000 years ago. He senses our present acts of love when we love him and prayerfully draw ourselves or uh, immerse ourselves into the mystery of his passion. And that can become something that's very alive. So I encourage you folks, as you do the Stations of the Cross, put yourself into the place of Veronica and accompany her spiritually. It's you comforting Jesus and wiping his face. You join in that act through your acts of love for him. So that's my reflection. Thank you, Tom. And you know what? It takes courage. That kind of fortitude, I think that's well brought out in the Passion of the Christ where Veronica is this kind of frail woman and she's at home and all of her home business is happening, but she's like, no, no, something, some dread is on her heart and she's looking and looking and realizing, yes, it's happening. Yes, I have to go. And it costs her. And this cost is what we are called upon to not only comfort Jesus, you know, when we comfort our neighbor, we are comforting Jesus. And this is where the corporal and spiritual works of mercy have their root. And that's how when we are, uh, when we see in no uncertain terms, this person needs help. And we move forward. I see this all the time in, in our parishes. We see this all the time in, uh, you know, in, in even secular life, we see people coming forward to help. And they don't even realize that the supernatural reward is also, you know, this, this, if you give a cup of water, of course, in Jesus name, um, that, you know, and as St. Therese said, one act of love can cover a thousand blasphemies. So giving an act of love of God and an act of love of your neighbor, this is where Jesus is calling us all the time. Sister, I just got to laugh. 
<laughs> no, I took it away from you, didn't I? I'm so no, sorry. You're, you're funny. You're unrestrainable. I love it. Uh, <laughs> no, you have you have so much richness to share. Well, um, you know, I can take the next one if you want. You go right ahead. Jesus All calls right. the second time. And, you know, uh, even though it's the second time, I think we could replicate, since we're in a crunch of time here, the uh, smashing again of his face and then a third time. And I think, too, uh, I remember walking. Um, we had a uh, we had a an intern at Immaculate Heart one year, and it was from Whitworth College or University. And she was Protestant and she uh, was talking to me. I was talking to her about the stations and she said, Oh, yes. Well, you know, sometimes it's a little hard for us Protestants to see something like the stations when it's not fully biblical. And I said, oh, but it is. And she said, it is. And I said, oh, yes. And then I looked it up later on that day and I realized Veronica is not in the the in the Gospels. And I think Simon is, but mostly Veronica. I'm not sure. Yeah, the Weeping Daughters, I think that's in there, too. But I said, you know, um, we... It, it, I went back to her and we just, we took another walk and we were talking and I just said, you know, it's true. Um, but this is an area where, of course, our understanding, our rule of faith is scripture and tradition, capital T. And this is a tradition that has come down to us. And that's why we honor that. I don't think Protestants would have any problem with all of the stations except for number six. But you can imagine number six, and I don't think it will do your devotion to the passion of Christ any harm. Um, so as we look at this seventh station and we see Jesus crushed again under the burden of the of the cross, even though Simon is helping him, Simon probably went down with him for all we know. And um, again, you know, the rush to pull him up and get him up there to the top, the disrespect, the spitting. If you've never been spit on, you have no idea of the indignity of being spat upon. And I was once writing a, a piece for, for a, um, a journal and I was talking about um, uh, the trans, uh, the um, icon of the transfigured Christ, uh, which is the uh, image uh, that St. John Paul II calls the consecrated religious. And he says um, that, well, I, my, my idea was to that person uh, the icon of the transfigured Christ, when people observe that person, according to Gautamer in philosophy, this is a, a there's a, an, a conversation that begins with the image and you don't have to say anything. A piece of art can address the viewer. The viewer sees that piece of art and says, um, oh, or ew. Well, I got spit on in Salzburg Square in Austria and it was the most horrible thing. I just remembered the slop coming down my face and down the side of my habit because this person just uh hated i think just hated any image of christ whether it be in person or you know i mean there were crucifixes there in salisbury square but um jesus actually was spit on with gross disgusting blobs of things that he had to wear all the rest of the way up and every spit cost him every spit every fall so let's go to the next station. Sure, absolutely. So Jesus meets the, the weeping women of Jerusalem. I'll give this one to you. Um, a simple point. Jesus points them back, not to him. Um, they want to weep over what's happening to him. And what does he say? Weep for yourselves and for your children. He doesn't say don't weep. He says weep for yourselves and your children. That sin is something that can bring devastating effects. Jesus came to reveal and to redeem those devastating effects. And when those devastating effects come out into the open, we can find part of the solution, part of the path forward by true mourning, truly mourning and sorrowing over the loss that sin and the havoc that sin wreaks in our lives, in our relationships. And there's something very powerfully redemptive about mourning, about that sense of deep sorrow, contrition over our sin, what it's done to Jesus and what it's done to our relationships and our lives. And so as we reflect on that eighth station, um, pray to be able to 
have authentic, profound contrition for your sins. And if gazing upon Christ is a path to that and walking in the stations is a path to that, then that's a great gift. For sure. Oh, my goodness. But again, I'm here with Sister Mary Eucharista. She is a Sister Mary Mother of the Church. And today on the program, we are reflecting on the Stations of the Cross. If you missed part one, I do encourage you, go to mycatholicfaith.org. There you'll not only have access to the podcast version of part one of the program, but you'll also have links to the video version that you'll find on Facebook and on YouTube. Sister Mary Eucharista, we are now down to the ninth station. Jesus falls a third time. Or do you want to move on to the tenth station? Sure. I think that would be um, probably this is the most uh, viscerally um, compelling station because when Jesus was uh, re, they, they took his garments off him and scourged him and then put his garments on him and then took him. Uh, up, you know, he's gone through these three falls and it, the, the treatment was brutal. And now these guys are vying for his clothing, which is so bizarre. But yet, I mean, they're all going to they're going to get a reward out of this and they're going to split up everything he's got, except they didn't want to tear up the garment that was woven in one piece from top to bottom, which was Mary's gift to him, they say uh, traditionally. But um, this was something that um, Jesus has these open wounds all over his body. If you've ever had a Band-Aid on a large wound and you had to rip it off and it took some of your skin with you, this is Christ's whole body and they're ripping open all of these wounds. The pain is already so incredible. I can't believe, you know, there's no record of Jesus fainting at all. He had no relief. And this, um, the, 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 the depth of his pain was so intense that only only feeling like the rip of a band-aid or something that would um indicate to us the kind of pain jesus would have had to endure and that stripping of the garments um helps us to know that in simplifying our lives we're stripping away those things that are not necessary in our lives and stripping away even our our consciousness to know that wealth materialism material things will never we can't bring anything with us we cannot have um, our things and eternal life too. And that's where this stripping away can become a visceral action where giving to the poor, giving away alms is uh, that actual uh, corporal work of mercy that happens to us um, when we reflect upon this beautiful station, which is so um, horrifying in its reality, but so necessary. Wow. Yeah, that's very striking. Uh, Sister Mary Eucharista uh, sharing about the Jesus is uh, stripped of his garments as we walk the path of the passion. Uh, one, I'd like to share one brief insight into the the fact that Jesus falls three times, and it's that many Catholics struggle, and and I'll throw myself in that basket, struggle with the idea of continuing to fall into sin even after we've been forgiven. Sinning once and, and realizing it's connected to Christ's passion, it makes us feel contrite. We hate hate ourselves. We go to confession and we just have this sense of uh, uh, resolution. I'm not going to do that anymore. And then sure enough, within hours, if not days, we've fallen back into the sin again and then again. And it can feel so hopeless. It can feel so hopeless that uh, why would the Lord ever want to show me mercy? Why would the Lord ever want to show me mercy? And that brings me to Jesus is nailed to the cross. And it is connected to, the for me, the concept of poverty. Um, and here's how. Um, a friend of mine in the seminary who had a, a deep sense of social justice uh, was saying, you know, when we were actually talking about Lent and giving up food, he said, you know, fasting. He said, you know, do you really understand poverty if you have an option out? Like, oh, fasting is really hard for you, but if it ever got too hard, you just go to the refrigerator and get some food. He said, realize what it means to be truly poor. It means being so poor that you do not have an option out. You, you are in, and, and that's your reality. And 
for me, that's Jesus is nailed to the cross. Um, he was in, he was so in that he was nailed to the cross. He was, there was no option for him. He was that in, even though, as you mentioned earlier, as the son of God, at any moment, he could have called the army of angels to come and sweep everyone away. And he himself had the power to do so. But he was firmly resolved to bring about the redemption of the world and overcoming our sin that he allows himself to be nailed to that cross. There is no getting down. There is no walking away from this. He is all in. So that's what I, I think about. Wow. And you know, um, the three vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience are the three nails that the religious considers in uh, looking again at our moral wounds and that the vows themselves are that balm which hold us in place, stabilize us, if it will, if it were, as it were, to the cross, and that's our lives, but that's the three nails for the religious. Wow, powerful. All right, sister, I'm going to let you bring us home with the last three mysteries, okay? All so, right. uh, Jesus dies on the cross as the 12th station. Sometimes people will kneel throughout this entire station because it is the moment of our redemption, and it's the beginning Jesus on the cross is actually the beginning of the resurrection, but it's the uh, it's those last seven words that tell us the anguish in the heart of Christ, um, a sense of abandonment, even though my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is the beginning of the psalm that really identifies several prophecies in relation to the suffering servant. Um, and that's where, uh, you know, Isaiah's words and all of those prophecies are fulfilled at the um, at the culmination of the passion, which is the, uh, the, the death of Jesus. And to imagine that deicide is taking place at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon uh, for Passover in that year. And when the soldier who is in charge up there sees this, he, he um, says, truly, this man was the son of God. To have a pagan man observe Christ and say this. And meanwhile, the, the high priests are still reviling him. People are saying, hey, if you're really the son of God, come down to the cross, dude. Come on. And then others saying, see, he can't. He has no power. Poor dude. You know, he thought he had this message for us. Oh, well, and walking away, you know, I mean, wouldn't you in a schoolboy sort of way, you almost want to just go, I, I'm going to sweep you people right off the face of the earth. No, Jesus is humble as the Trinity is humble, as angels are humble, but as only God can be humble. And he stays on the cross and ignores the 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 vanity and the, the ribald, a garrulousness of these um, poor barbarians who are throwing these insults at him. He is, and and the Jewish uh, priest who who knew better, but also couldn't risk the political um, uh, reasons that they were putting him to death at this time. So you know, this is where the uh, the centurion thrusts the spear, and they say that in the shroud studies. They thrust it, the man thrust it in such a way that it was perfect Roman uh, execution of a, you know, he was not going, he went right between two ribs that he intended to go right between, right across his chest and into, through his heart, just to show that this man, and also fulfill a prophecy, not a bone of him shall be broken, and to show and to bring out the blood and water necessary for the birthing elements of the church. And that's why Mary watching this is saying to herself, I am the mother, because just before that, Jesus had said, woman, behold your son. He didn't say mother. He said, woman, proto-evangelium, woman, the woman, woman, behold your son, behold your mother to St. John. Sister, we have, we have okay. four minutes. So, so Jesus is taken down from the cross by uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who now has come out of seclusion. He's out in the open. They remove the, 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 terrible, or the terrible nails. 
Um, it, they're probably reverently placed somewhere, and I'm sure they went into safekeeping with the Christians. But then in taking him down from the cross, he was stiff. His arms are like still out. They place him in Mary's arms, and she has already kissed his feet, and she kisses his wounds. And then there's that deeply beautiful but so sad picture of Mary with the blood stains on her face after having received Jesus and looked at his wounds and the spittle and the garbage all over him and the, the sadness of the crushing of his face and his beautiful features. And then she allows all of them to wash his body and then take him quickly to the tomb where he is now going to fulfill another prophecy as I, as Jonah was in the whale, the whale's belly, for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. But what a surprise on that last day where Jesus comes forth and um, out of his, uh, the, the mourning cloths, these shroud, this shroud, this burial shroud that he has rescued others from, he himself rises and those, the shroud just kind of sinks down. It doesn't become unraveled. The only thing separate from that was the cloth from his face which is laid aside as is testified to by Peter and John. And um, only angels are witness to this great, wonderful work, which is the resurrection, which is our freedom from everything and our promise of future immortality. Woo, you did that well. Sister, when you're Thank under the you. gun, man, you just, you came through. I love it. I try, I try. You did a great job. Those are beautiful <laughs> reflections of Sister Mary Eucharista. Again, a Sister Mary, Mother of the Church, located in Spokane, Washington. And she also works at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center. She does lots of spiritual direction, leads days of silence, prayer, and also retreats. So IHRC.net, ImmaculateHeartRetreatCenter.net for upcoming events. And uh, you, you've had a chance on yesterday's program and today's to hopefully enjoy the, the gift of Sister Mary Eucharista. If you want to get to know her better and enjoy more of her ministry, she's going to be at St. Mary's uh, Catholic Church in Spokane Valley. Coming up on, are you? is it Friday night and Saturday? No, no, it's just, just Saturday. Saturday morning on the 18th. And it will, mass starts at eight. And then I think nine o'clock, there's a, there's a breakfast snack. And then we go right into the morning of prayer on healing of wounds, especially anger and impatience. Nice. Healing of the wounds of impatience and anger. I'm, there may be a couple of people in, a, in our audience that would maybe benefit from that. Yes. You know, every time I, I give it, I get more out of it. So it's really going to be cool. There's going to be 14 types of anger we're going to discuss. And it's going to be, uh, there's some really good solutions, uh, spiritual, philosophical, neurological, um, that we can actually use in our healing. Of wow. Anger. Powerful. Yeah. Powerful. So set St. Mary's and it's free of charge, folks. There's, there's no fee. So come on out eight in the morning for mass, uh, get a snack afterwards and then enjoy the gift of Sister Mary Eucharista. All right, Sister Mary Eucharista, thank you again for yesterday's program, today's program, the, the beautiful gift of the Stations of the Cross. I hope folks you're blessed by it. Join me tomorrow for more sound insight. Thank you, thank Sister. Thank you, Tom.